Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digests from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. Between a full-time job in IT and a full-time job in podcasting, it gets harder and harder to sit down and read the books I'm interested in. This is where Audible comes in. I can listen on my daily commute, relaxing, or while out running errands and still get in the books I've been wanting to get into. You can download titles and listen offline anytime, anywhere. The app is free and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets. Now you can try Audible risk-free with a special 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com forward slash nerdery and murdery. That's audibletrial.com forward slash nerdery and murdery. Don't let your busy life get in the way of that great book you've been wanting to read. Go get your free trial of Audible today. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. This is Jeffrey, and we've talked about many times before that I experience problems and struggles with my mental health. And really, without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy does work. It's helped for me. But but what is is therapy exactly? It's it's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships at work or you're not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's really time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles. And, and it's time to start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is a customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And there's a special offer to Nerdery and Murdery listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash nerderyandmurdery. That's betterhelp.com forward slash nerderyandmurdery. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. Big 88, I'm Zig with your nerdery. And I'm Jeffrey with your murdery, and we're going to have a special guest today. Zig, you want to introduce our special guest? Yes, this is K3, the intern. Uh, since we were doing an episode on community, I figured it would be good to bring them in. Since Well, I'll let y'all go ahead and take it away. I'm not going to have a whole lot for this one. This is not a show that I watch, so I'll just go ahead and let y'all take over the show. Well, okay. it's surprised to hear that. But all right. Uh, so just a little background. Community is an American television sitcom created by Dan Harmon. The series ran for 110 episodes over six seasons. 
uh, its first five seasons airing on NBC from September 17th, 2009 to April 17th, 2014, and its final season airing on Yahoo Screen uh, from March 17th to June 2nd, 2015. It is set in a community college in the fictional Colorado town of Greendale. The series stars an ensemble cast consisting of Joe McHale, Gillian Jacobs, Danny Pudi, Yvette Nicole Brown, Allison Brie, Donald Glover, Ken Jeong, Chevy Chase, and Jim Rash. It makes use of meta humor and pop culture references, paying homage to film and television cliches and tropes. Um, so that is a general overall station. When he says he, when they say they pay homage to uh, pop culture tropes, they aren't kidding. The show is all pop culture. Um, there's an entire character whose entire thing is bringing in pop culture references more and more. Yes. Uh, the character of Abed, played by Danny Pudi, believes he's actually in a television show. Interested so far? Uh, no. <laughs> so, well, you're a party pooper, so... <laughs> Harmon based community on his experiences attending Glendale Community College. Each episode was written in accordance with Harmon's story cycle template, a method designed to create effective and structured storytelling. Harmon was the showrunner for the first three seasons, but was fired prior to the fourth season and replaced by David uh, Garasico and Moses Port. After a week of reviews, Harmon was rehired for the fifth season, after which NBC canceled the series. Yahoo Screen revived the series uh, for Community's sixth and final season. So one of the jokes uh, in the show itself was uh, some of the, the characters were obsessed with the series The Cape, <laughs> uh, which only ran for one season. Um, but Abed says the cape's going to go on. It's going to go on for six seasons and a movie. So that became that became the rallying cry for Community fans. Six seasons and a movie. And we're finally getting the movie. Oh, really? Yay! They're they're doing a yeah. movie on this? Yes, they're they're they are in production uh, right now. Everybody huh. signed up for it. Um, and they're they're looking community. Uh, the community film was announced on NBC streaming service Peacock. Huh. Um. Now, despite the struggling ratings, a community developed a cult following and received acclaim for its acting, directing, writing writing and meta humor. Uh, it won a primetime Emmy award for, and four nom nominations received the critics choice television award for best comedy series in 2012, among other accolades. Um, most episodes feature that titles designed to sound like names of college courses, such as introduction to film anthropology, one one and cooperative calligraphy. The first season premiered on September 17th, 2009 in the nine 30 PM. Uh, Thursday time slot. After three episodes, the show was moved to 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time slot on Thursdays. In October 2009, it was announced that the show would be picked up for a full 22-episode uh, season. Um, so it actually ran like a regular series, uh, its first couple of seasons, uh, 22 and 23 episodes. But later on, it went to the 12 to 15 episodes. And that's kind of where it shined. Um, and they weren't at a loss for ideas. Some of the uh, 
some of the the things it's most famous for are the paintball episodes where they play paintball assassin around the school and just get weird with it. Um, also, those D and D episodes are pretty yes. notorious. Yeah, they did. Uh, they did two uh, advanced D and D episodes, um, where they basically sat around and played D and D. You didn't see the uh, the action. Like usually, when someone does a D and D episode, you see the action of the characters in the D and D show. No, it wasn't that. It was them around a table, just kind of acting it out. And also uh, getting into fights and stuff, treating it like a real D&D session. Yes. Yes, there were arguments. Uh, there was a controversy. Um, switching up characters. Um, the two D&D episodes, uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, and I think Advanced Advanced Dungeons & Dragons was the second one. Yeah. Um, they were both a lot of fun. Um, so... Uh, Harmon adapted the hero's journey, a well-known storytelling framework to use in television. He calls this technique the story circle. He, ca- he began developing the technique while stuck on a screenplay in the late 1990s and want to codify the storytelling process to unveil the structure. Um, the powers, movies, and TV shows, he said, I, I was thinking there must be some symmetry to this, some simplicity. While working at Channel 101, he found that many of the directors he was working with claimed that they had they were unable to write plots for television shows. This prompted him to simplify Joseph, Joseph Campbell's uh, structure of the hero's journey into a circular eight-step process. And the story circle appears like this. Um, one, the character is in a zone of, of comfort or familiarity. Two, they desire something. Three, they enter an unfamiliar situation. Four, they adapt to the situation. Five, they get that which they wanted. Four, Six, they pay a heavy price for it. Seven, they return to the familiar uh, situation. And eight, they have changed as a result of the journey. This story cycle mimics all of the characters' arcs throughout the series as well. Because he does it in every episode. But it starts with this one character, um, Jeff, who was a lawyer. Um, They find out at his law firm that his... uh, his bachelor's that he got was from uh, a school in Columbia. He just said, I got my bachelor's from Columbia. He didn't, he let people assume he meant Columbia University. It was actually from a school in Columbia that was not certified. <laughs> so you know, he has to, that's just like a lawyer. Yeah, that's, that's true. He was actually pretty good at it. Um, so he has to go back. The first thing he does uh, is elicit a professor there. To basically help him game the system um, in trade for his car. The professor was played by John Oliver, who comes back throughout the series. Um, but but yeah, um, it starts as this guy, and he's kind of a weasel. And uh, he, he starts hanging out with these people who are kind of broken. Um, but through the course of the series, you realize that the people he's working with that are broken are way less broken than he is. Um, and he becomes a, a better person for it. He ends up becoming a, a, a professor at the school toward the end of the series. Um, they use uh, semiotics. Uh, semiotics is a systemic study of sign processes, uh, meaning making. Uh, semiotics is an activity conducted or process that involves signs. 
where a sign is defined as anything that communicates something, usually called a meaning. The sign's interpreter, um, the meaning can be intentional, such as a word uttered with a specific meaning, or unintentional, such as a symptom being a sign of a particular medical condition or, you know, like tracks in the sand. The, the idea of the study of semiotics um, and in, in sign symmetry is applied towards um, community a lot. The thing about community is it's now because of the way that Dan Harmon wrote it, even though it's just a sitcom, it's being studied seriously in academic circles now because of its heavy use of semiotics. Dan Harmon is now actually more famous for uh, another series that he co-wrote called Rick and Morty. Um, Honestly, it's a meh for me. Not Rick too and Morty? Yeah, not a fan of it. Yeah, you prefer the semiotics of community. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty for a sitcom. It's pretty deep, and at the same time, it's also really really funny. Um, there's a lot of story arcs that keep coming back. Um, the the Ken Jeong character. Oh my um, god! Yeah. Um, so Ken Jeong is a Spanish teacher. At this community college, it turns out Kim Jong also faked all of his credentials, and he's actually a guitar player from an '80s band who pretended to be a Spanish professor. And he's one um, of the he's one of the reasons that I've never really watched this show. He's a very small dosage actor to me. Um, you don't get a lot of Kim Jong. He's basically there for punchlines. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of episodes that are that are Chang centric, um, like the time he took over the school. Yeah, he <laughs> he goes in, uh, he stops being a professor and goes back as a student and then he becomes head of security. Then for a, a, a small story arc, he takes over the school and replaces the dean with a, a, a an imposter, I- a doppelganger. Jim Rash, uh, who won an Oscar for, oh God, what was that movie? Um, the Descendants, uh, is also fair, fairly heavily run in the series and he's really funny. Um, he plays the Dean who has kind of a crush on Joel McHale's character, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, Dan Harmon emphasized the importance of cast in making the premises of the comedy work. He said casting was 95% of putting the show together. He said in an interview he had worked with, uh, with several of the cast members previously. Actor Chevy Chase had long been a favorite of Harmon's, though initially not partial to sitcoms. Chase was provided by the quality of the show's writing to take the jobs. Um, Harmon saw similarities between Chase and the character that he played. Um, so he would start a sort of start writing the character out by dealing with Chevy Chase. The problem with Chevy Chase is he wanted to be the wise ass character, but he couldn't be. He already had a wise ass character who was internally broken. I always heard that Chevy Chase was kind of a jerk on this show. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. he got fired. Yeah, he got fired for yelling uh, racial epithets. Yeah, Donald Glover yeah. and um, Yvette Nicole Brown. Yeah, he also uh, eventually in his like the sh- character he plays Chase, who is kind of like the j- butt of the joke old man, mm-hmm. which 
literally dies in the show. Yeah, they actually kill him off. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, it's pretty funny. Yeah. So the first person he wanted um, was was the, the wise-ass character, uh, Jeff Winger. He cast Joel McHale because he'd been working with Joel McHale on Channel 101, which is a uh, sort of like a like a a film project uh, that's partially funded by the state of California. Um, it's it's almost like a film collective um, where they get a lot of ideas. A lot of people started out with Channel 101 because it kind of got people's name out there and let them experiment with some ideas. Um, Mikhail was most known for the e-comedy talk show The Soup. Um, where he kind of plays a wise ass. Um, and he wanted him to possess a certain unsympathetic trait, but at the same time, he wanted the character of Jeff Winger to be, to have some humanity to him. Because again, the character of Jeff Winger, who is the lawyer, is broken. He's probably the most broken in the show. Yeah. Um, and like most of the show, we spend actually kind of delving into it during its like centric episodes yeah yeah you you really understand how broken this character is and very very sympathetic uh even though he's 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 a fast-talking wise ass um he also wanted someone who would resemble tracy flick uh from the movie election played by reese witherspoon um he wanted uh the character of annie uh, originally he wanted Annie to be uh, Asian. He wanted like an Asian Tracy Flick because uh, that's how he had envisioned the show. But Allison Brie came in and auditioned for the role, and she killed it so well that he cast Allison Brie as Annie Edison, even though she was also working on Mad Men at exactly the same time. Um, Ooh, the the runner-up, the Asian Annie, who they re- they refer to her as her name is like Asian Annie Jen, but they refer to her as Asian Annie. Um, is actually the second she was the runner up for the the casting, and she comes into the episode occasionally. Yes, yeah, you see her a lot, uh, because she she crushed it so much that he wanted to keep her on. Um, the thing is, Harmon based this premise of Community on his own real life experience. So he was in this relationship with this girlfriend, and she enrolled at Glendale Community College in Glendale, California. Which is where a lot of the uh, the the show is actually filmed at Glendale Community College. Uh, hey, just signs. change up, yeah, just change up the sign. You know, it's yeah. that easy. And they took Spanish together and joined the Spanish study group. And the thing was that after the relationship was over, Harmon realized that this group of knuckleheads that he hung out with in the Spanish class was actually the closest thing to friends he could ever have. So Aww. he basically based the character of Jeff Williams and those people are still his friends. As a matter of fact, those people that he was on in this Spanish study class with appear in the series throughout the run. Usually they're jokes, but like Pierce is Leonard who has yeah, a first yeah. pizza review. Yes. Yeah, and, and and it turns out that these these people that he keeps running across that you'll they'll, they'll be secondary characters are actually his friends from the Spanish study group, whom he 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 wanted to get them in. Um. So again, with using that story cycle, uh, he also included some members of of the writing staff. So it was Lynn 
Kakowski, Dino Stamatopoulos. Dino Stamatopoulos was one of the writers. He also plays a character in the series uh, Starburns or Alex. Oh, that's Starburns? Yes, Dino Stamatopoulos. Yes. Uh, he also wrote Moral Oral. Moral Oral is oh. Dino Stamatopoulos' baby. Ah, um, uh, yeah. I heard about that. That got canceled, unfortunately. Yes. Um, it was a, a ripoff of Davy and Goliath. It's really funny. Uh, Chris McKenna, Megan Gantz, Andy Barbarow, Alex Rubens, Tim Sicardo, Matt Warburton. Additionally, cast members Jim Rash um, would also fill in and do some some writing from time to time. And Jim Rash won an Oscar for The Descendants. Um, the show is well known for its frequent use of thematic episodes every season, uh, which uses cliches and television tropes as a single episode concept that plays with suspension of disbelief while maintaining uh, continuity of the plot. An example of notable thematic episodes is season three's remedial chaos theory, in which the cast explores seven different parallel realities of the same night, with one key variation being a roll of a single six-sided dice in a game of Yahtzee. Um, and it changes. Just a member of the group to go get the pizza. The seventh variation being that the die was not allowed to roll at all. Frequent episode th- themes are school year, holidays, Halloween, and Christmas being the most frequent. And, of course, the paintball episodes. <laughs> paintball. Yes, they, which they do a lot of. Um, Anthony and Joe Russo, the Russo brothers, um, left the show in order to direct Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and join up with Marvel's MCU. Uh, the Russo brothers were were big writers with uh, with Community in its first two or three seasons. Um, I'd like to talk about some of the controversy now about Chevy Chase. So Chevy Chase uh, left the show by mutual agreement uh, between the actor and the network as a result of timing. And the agreements made Chase's character Pierce is absent for two episodes in that season. He did not appear in the 10th episode. Uh, intro to knots or the 12th episode heroic uh, origins uh he appeared in a voice only role in the episode intro to felt surgery uh, which was the final episodes produced for the season as part of his agreement to leave the show chase was required to record all audio for the scene where his character alongside other characters appears as puppets uh the season's finale which was filmed out of sequence um as it was the 11th episode produced marks the final on-screen appearance of chase as a regular cast member Chase appears in cameos uh, in the premiere of season uh, season five, where he's basically a hologram uh, because the character died. Um, it isn't like a real hologram, though. We're no, not sure, no. at least. Yeah. Um, it was on November 12, 2012, after saying the N-word on set to Yvette Nicole Brown and Donald Glover, which is why Chevy Chase uh, was basically pulled from sure the- sure yeah. yeah i i think he should have yeah yeah absolutely well, he was, was kind of hard to deal with especially once the the first season he was all right the second season he got a little more big for his britches and the third season he was just he was he was a handful he was too much to deal with um which has been said about chevy chase a lot you know that he was just difficult to work. Once he got, once he got to the point where he was, quote unquote, lauded, it went to his head, and it he kind of got out of control. Um, but 
in the overall story arc of the series, Pierce kind of needed to go. You know what I mean? It was time for that character to graduate because the character story arc of Pierce is Pierce was uh, Pierce was a like a businessman. He inherited his company from his father, who's actually alive, but he inherited his portion of the Hawthorne's Wipe Company. They they make wet wipes, um, and Pierce was, you know, an executive. Well, he was so bumbling that eventually the board got rid of him. So he had to do something with his life. So he started going to community college. And he had been going there for 12 years at the beginning of the season, of the series. He'd already been there 12 years. Um, so it was kind of – it was time for Pierce to move on anyway. Um, so. Dan Harmon got into a lot of trouble at the end of the third series while all this stuff was going on with uh, with Chevy Chase. Dan Harmon had gotten into trouble with uh, – I want to say sexual harassment, um, in which Dan Harmon has apologized to the, the person for. Um, the person has accepted the apology and realized what was going on. The problem was Dan Harmon was attracted to this person. But he was afraid of of asking them out, so he was just harder on this person than he was anybody else because he didn't want it to seem inappropriate. Um, and the the person um, filed a sexual harassment uh, suit because Dan Harmon was harder on them because he was attracted to them um, than the rest of the writers, which is true. Um, so Dan Harmon left the show for the fourth season. Um, but the fourth season kind of went downhill, um, ratings wise. So they brought Dan Harmon back for the fifth season. Um, and he kind of pulled the show out of the ditch a little bit. Um, I don't want to minimize what Dan Harmon did because uh, it's not cool, but it's it turned out better for everyone in the long wrong long run for him to leave for a year. That writer was able to go on and do some other things, um, and then Dan Harmon came back, and the he and that writer have since made up and and have worked together. Um, I think that writer's actually worked on. Uh, some Rick and Morty. Um, but because of that, they brought in two other writers who kind of been with them and they ran the show for that fourth season, which wasn't bad. Um, they followed all the same storylines, but it didn't feel as authentic. So when they brought him back for the fifth season, it, the, the show kind of took off again, almost like it got a new life. And then NBC canceled it. And Yahoo Screen picked it up like five days later. So they did a, the sixth season. So they actually got their sixth season. Now they're about to get their movie. Um, so there's a lot of controversy over, you know, the making of the show. The only the thing is, everybody in the cast wants to go back to doing it because it was such a fun experience. And as Joel McHale and Allison Bree have said several times, the problem wasn't 
the problem with the long hours wasn't because there was long hours in the production. The problem with us having long hours is because we couldn't stop riffing. Like they would go in, they would shoot the scene and they'd be like, okay, let's do it this way. And then they would be like, okay, what if we do this? And they, and Harmon would let them ad lib a little bit because again, it's, they're living these characters. So they would have super long days, not because the schedule called for it, but because the actors were having such a good time and were so in the zone riffing that it, <laughs> it drug the day out. And uh, honestly, that's kind of what you want for a good show. Especially yeah. if you're having like characters bond, you don't want them to be like, okay, I'm done. That's yeah. it. I'm only getting my paycheck. Yeah. And, and it was, it was not that way for these people. Um, Donald Glover left in the fifth season to go on and do Atlanta, which, hey, nobody faulted him for. You know, that was a, that was a good deal. Um, I kind of wish he'd come back for the sixth season, but he was knee deep in doing Childish Gambino touring and and atlanta um during the pandemic joe McHale and ken jiang started a thing called the darkest timeline which is from that remedial chaos theory episode they got the whole cast together to re-record an episode over zoom and they had so much fun that was the impetus for them getting this film made um it was great um, and, and everybody showed up for it because they're all friends and they all like working together. Um, that's why the care, the cast from community will show up in each other's shows. Danny Pudi had Donald Glover on Donald Glover had Danny Pudi on Joe McHale's had everybody on when he was doing the soup and his other show that he did for Netflix. Like it was a Joe McHale show. Um, plus Dino Stamatopoulos and, uh, Jonathan Banks was in the fifth season as Bud Hickey. And uh, they also got Keith David on for the sixth season as Elroy Pasternak. Um, as well as Paget Brewster. Paget Brewster was great. I love the character Frankie Dart. She fit in so well. It, it, I just think it was kind of funny that they all decided, you know what? We've had too many silly characters. Let's get the most serious person we can find. And it like changed up the group dynamics. Yes, it did. That yes, would be Jonathan. That would be Jonathan Banks, I assume. Nope. Uh, no. Frankie Dart. <laughs> really? It was Paget Brewster? Jonathan Banks started out as a character, and then he went nuts. Paget Brewster's from uh, Criminal Minds. Yes. Yes. But she came up as Frankie Dart in the sixth season, and she was so funny because she was such a straight man. Um. They built a speakeasy in the back of a sandwich shop. Um, I mean, it, it, the show is is ridiculous because there is a willing suspension of disbelief, but you don't realize how nuts that show is going to get from the first episode. The first episode is seems is a, normal. Yeah, it's a it's a. There's some quirky characters. The writing is good, but it's basically just a sitcom, right? The, the first episode yeah, is just a sitcom. Yeah. First episode, it's not unfunny. Um, but it's, it's almost it like a Trojan horse of, yes, the first episode is a Trojan horse because once you watch that first episode, it's like, oh yeah, these characters are funny. Some funny stuff happens. Some of these guys are fairly ridiculous. And then it unloads all of this meta humor that 
that just sucks you in. Um, at one point, Betty White attacks Joel McHale with this weapon where she's got this rope around his neck, yelling at him, <laughs> This is why you fail! <laughs> oh, I remember that! And then she was sitting at the end, because usually there's these two characters, Troy and Abed, who mm-hmm. yeah, sit Donald on a couch. Glover and Danny Pudi. Danny, yes. Yeah, them. And Betty White joined them, and I can't remember if they were doing they did, their Spanish. They did a rap version of Africa, as well as 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 running down the uh, the genus species name of Homo, homo sapiens. Yeah, and then they and start, she, and she starts singing Africa. I, yeah, and that was the end credit scene, basically. Yes, that was that episode that I said, "Hey, watch the second episode." or the second season first episode you should see that one betty white's hysterical and she is and the the africa scene which i think i've included in the video um because of course i made you know youtube videos for every episode that's the one um that's the one that i actually got hooked with because i want to say that was the first episode no the first episode i saw was a christmas episode ah nice yeah Uh, abed's uncontrollable christmas because i was like because eh, I wasn't into sitcoms at that point. I was like, nah, I'd rather watch a science fiction show. But it was and in Claymation. Yeah, well, your mom's like, you need to watch this. This is this is basically a Rankin and Bass Christmas. And I'm like, okay. And then I watched it. And, and then, then I had to go back and watch every episode before that, and then every episode after that. And I think it was about this time that you and I kind of bonded over it. Uh... There's one episode I want to talk about. I can't remember what episode it was or what season, but the dean makes a commercial for the community college, and it starts out normal at first, right? And then he starts getting a little bit too nuts with the production, and eventually everybody's going nuts on screen, having like an entire mental breakdown because this man has been filming over 30 months and he's for some reason covered in black ink and naked. And it it was just so nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It was the heart of darkness episode. Oh yeah. And the heart of darkness episode. And for some reason, Louise Guzman was there because Louis Guzman. Okay. In the, in the canon of the show, Louis Guzman is the most famous person to ever come out of Greendale Community College. They so have a, a statue of him. to Louis Guzman in the quad. And then Louis Guzman appears to be in this commercial for Greendale Community College, um, which they've completely messed up. Abed goes back and fixes it, and it's a great commercial. Uh, he also makes a documentary because Heart of Darkness is way better than Apocalypse Now. So they keep saying. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. Um yes, the movie should be out I believe in early or late 2023. Um they've been kicking the idea of a movie about since, you know, they were still on the air. Um Yes, in May 2020, the original cast excluding Chase um with Harmon announced that they would reunite via live stream video for a benefit to raise money for COVID-19 pandemic with a table read of cooperate uh, polygraphy. Uh, Pedro Pascal filled filled in for uh, Walton Goggins. 
because he was working on a different show. Walt Goggins was in this show too. Yeah, uh, for one episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, and he was. Oh my god, he was great. He, they all go out and do shots with him after the. Hit. He's a great actor. Yeah. Uh, so in August of 2022, the movie was definitely going to happen. Uh, according to Kaharman, it could be expected in between one to eight years. The Peacock streaming service announced they had ordered the film in September of 2022. Harmon and Andrew Guest will write the film with Mikhail, Pudi, Bree, Jacobs, Rash, and Jiang set to return. Of the main cast, uh, Donald Glover and Yvette Nicole Brown and, and Chase are not confirmed. Ha- Harmon also said there was a bidding war amongst distributors for the rights of the film, but Peacock outbid the others. Um uh, Donald Glover and Yvette Nicole Brown have both um, signed on to do the film as well. They're just not going to be as in as big a roles as they were because they actually left during the sixth season. Um, I'd like to talk about a couple of things real quick. Um, throughout the so- series, uh, Michael Haggis' song Daybreak can be heard on several occasions. The characters are humming the tune and sometimes it can be heard playing on the radio in the background. So do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. Yeah, there. For some reason, in in that universe, that's one of the most uh, famous songs around. Uh, um, it, there's like a specific scene where he's humming that, and like his special, like a character is humming that, and their special edition of like the Dark Knight was destroyed, and he sees it, and he just breaks down, and he goes <laughs> off humming the song, going crying. <laughs> Why? I was so, just dusting. Why? <laughs> so Troy, Donald Glover, and Abed, Danny Pudi build a blanket fort in Abed's dorm room. Other students help to expand the fort. Later, Abed and Troy see the fort town mentioned in Greendale's newspaper, making it mainstream, and they collapse the entire fort. This comes back. This comes back to a competition between a pillow fort and a blanket fort made by two of them. And they recorded the largest pillow fight the world has ever seen. That is a two part episode. And it's filmed like a war documentary. Yeah. It, it's like Kenneth Burns, the civil war. It's called digital exploration and interior design. And then the <laughs> second episode is called pillows and blankets. Um. Just there's a thing called a dreamatorium where you you pretend inside this room. It's Jeffrey. You've got to at least experience some of this because it's so very funny and so geeky. But that's about all I have for community. K3, you got anything else? I didn't really take notes, but I can say a few moments that I do remember. Um, There's this anti... Basically, they got in trouble, like the group got in trouble for something, and they have to do an anti-drug PSA for a bunch of uh, quote-unquote at-risk kids who are just kind of... Yeah, who are just kind of shitlords, best way I could describe it. And um, Pierce's character realizes as the role of drugs he can ham it up and all the kids love him to the point where it kind of hinders the production and the dean literally has to make a statement of guys you really messed this up the kids are chanting for drugs now (laughs) it was pretty funny 
But Ken Jeong's character, Chang, comes in as drugs to kind of save the situation. And he basically does his usual Chang thing and just scares the living daylights out of these kids, kind of making it a full-rounded message of drugs can look like anything and I can rip your face off. Yes. Yes, I remember <laughs> drugs. Ken Jeong is drugs. Yep. <laughs> But yeah, that's about that's about all I've got. Is that is that all you've got? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad y'all enjoyed the show. We've we've talked about this show before uh, last year in our Christmas episode. Um, so you know, if 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 you didn't uh, if you didn't want to start watching it then, maybe you won't want to start watching it now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, real quick before we go, I want to give a shout out to my friend Jacob who watches our po- well watches the podcast. Uh, he was waiting for the community episode, and I just wanted to say, "Hey, Jacob, it's awesome. me." Awesome. Welcome, Jacob. Appreciate you being a listener. Thanks, sir. Awesome. Well, with that, I guess we'll take over on the murdery side of the house. Murder. So it's interesting. Um, I did not know that you were doing a doing community, which you self described as, as uh, it had a cult following. Well, we're going to cover another cult. <laughs> awesome. Um, I got my information for today off all that's interesting Wikipedia and biography. And today I am covering the Heaven's Gate cult. Oh, you're doing Heaven's Gate. I am doing oh. Heaven's Gate. Oh, man, I wish I'd have worn my Nikes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, as the founder of California's based Heaven's Gate cult, Marshall Applewhite and 38 of his followers died by suicide in March 1997 to ascend to an Earth-saving spaceship. Uh, Marshall Herf Applewhite Jr., also known as Doe, among many other names, was an American religious leader who founded what became known as the Heaven's Gate Religious Group and organized their mass suicide in 1977. It is the largest mass suicide to occur inside the U.S. Oh, yeah, because the Jim Jones happened in police. Yes, yes. So on March 21st, 1997, 39 members of the Heaven's Gate cult sat down for a final meal together. As they as they dined, the Hale-Bopp comet blazed in the sky, which cult leader Marshall Applewhite claimed would offer them all an escape from the planet. The meal at a Marie Callender's chain restaurant caught the eye of waiters as each member of the party ordered the same thing, a turkey pot pie with iced tea followed by cheesecake with blueberries. Sounds delicious. It doesn't sound like a bad meal at all, no. Days later, with the comet reaching its closest point in Earth, Applewhite told his followers to die by suicide, and they did. But who exactly was Marshall Applewhite, and how did he orchestrate the second largest mass suicide in U.S. history? Which, you, of course, said Jamestown is the first. Um, As a child, Marshall Applewhite led an unremarkable life. He was born in Spur, Texas on May 17, 1931. He attended Austin College, married, and served in the Army Signal Corps for two years. From an early age, Applewhite had a knack for public speaking. He attended Corpus Christi High School and Austin College, and at the latter school, he was active in several student organizations and was moderately religious. He earned a bachelor's degree in philosophy in 1952 and subsequently enrolled in the Union Presbyterian Cemetery to study theology, hoping to become a minister. He married Ann Pierce around that time, and they later had two children, Mark and Lane. 
Early in his seminary studies, Applewhite decided to leave the school to pursue a career in music, becoming the director of music of a Presbyterian church in North Carolina, and he also had a rich baritone and ear for the opera. After a failed stint as an actor in New York City, Applewhite took a job teaching at the University of Alabama, U of A, but he lost his position there after having a sexual relationship with a male student. Of course, his religious education was likely not supportive of the same-sex relationships, and he was subsequently frustrated by his own sexual desires. Later, he became the head of music department at Houston College. His sister said he was usually present of everything. He was always a born leader and very charismatic. He could get people to believe anything. In the late 1960, Applewhite's life began to unravel. He separated from his wife when she learned of the affair in New York, and they divorced three years later. And when Applewhite revealed to his parents he was homosexual, his father rejected him. After divorcing his wife, Applewhite suddenly left his job, citing emotional distress. And in 1965, after leaving U of A, Applewhite moved to Houston to serve as the chair of the music department at the University of St. Thomas. His students regarded him as an engaging speaker and a stylish dresser. He also became a locally popular singer, serving as the choral director of an Episcopal church while performing with the Houston Grand Opera. In Houston, Applewhite was briefly openly gay, but also pursued a relationship with a young woman who who left him under pressure from her family, and he was greatly upset by this outcome. He resigned from the University of St. Thomas in 1970, citing depression and other emotional problems. Robert Balch and David Taylor, sociologists who studied the Applewhite group, speculate this departure was prompted by another affair between Applewhite and another student. The president of the university later recalled that Applewhite was often mentally jumbled and disorganized near the end of his employment. In 1971, Applewhite briefly moved to New Mexico, where he operated Delicatessen. He was pop- popular with customers, but decided to return to Texas later that year. And then Applewhite's father died around this time, which he took the significant emotional toll on him, causing him severe depression. His debts mounted, and it forced him to borrow money from friends. In 1972, Applewhite met Bonnie Nettles, who was a nurse who had an interest in theosophy and biblical prophecy, as well as an interest in more unusual spiritual matters. The the two quickly became close friends, and he recalled later that he had felt like he had known her for a long time and concluded that they had met in a past life. Yeah. Nettles told Applewhite their meeting had been foretold to her by extraterrestrials, persuading him that he had a divine assignment. By that time, he had begun to investigate alternatives to traditional Christian doctrine, including astrology. And Nettles convinced Applewhite that they were prophets mentioned in the book of Revelation. I I, I don't think you should trust that. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Right. Uh, They operated a bookstore and teaching center for a short while and then began to travel around the U.S. in 1973 to spread their views. But they only gained one convert. Applewhite soon began to live with Nettles, and although they cohabitated, their relationship was not a sexual one, fulfilling his longtime wish to have a deep and loving yet platonic relationship. Nettles was married with two children, but after she became close with Applewhite, her husband divorced her and she lost custody of the children. Applewhite then permanently broke off contact with his family as well. He saw Nettles as his soulmate, and some of his acquaintances later recalled that she had a strong influence on him. 
They also launched a venture known as No Place to teach classes of theosophy and mysticism. The pair closed these businesses a short time later. In nineteen of se- in February of 1973, Applewhite Nettles resolved to travel to teach others about their beliefs and drove throughout the western U.S. While traveling, they had little money and occasionally resorted to selling their blood or working odd jobs for much-needed funds. The pair subsisted solely on bread rolls at times, often camped out, and sometimes did not pay their lodging bills. One of their friends from Houston corresponded with them and accepted their teachings. They visited her in May of 1974, and she was the one who became the first convert. They concluded that earthly laws did not apply to them, and they set off on a cross-country law-breaking mission. And in 1974, authorities arrested the couple for credit card fraud. Later, Applewhite drove off with a rental car and never returned it. Okay, that just sounds like the most stupid thing you can do is the laws don't apply to me so we're going on a long binge of law breaking this will have no consequences whatsoever well and you have people who do that to this day what are they called um uh god they call they they call themselves something that they don't have to conform to u.s laws I can't think of the oh, name. The, like sovereign, sovereign. Sovereign. Yeah, the sovereign. Citizens. Yeah, sovereign citizens. Exactly. Exactly. But, <laughs> we have laws for a reason. Right. Yeah. I mean, some of them I can understand might be a little stupid, but some of them are definitely like, you know, do not murder is a good law. Sure. Do not steal. Sure. Well, the crimes landed Applewhite in prison for six months, but while incarcerated, his ideas only evolved. He felt that humans were trapped on the earthly level and that it was his mission to help others ascend to the next level. Applewhite believed the next level was a physical place in space, a sort of heaven in the skies. Once released from prison, Applewhite and Nettles began recruiting followers. He and Nettles traveled from California and or to California and Oregon, eventually gaining a group of committed followers. Nettles and he resolved to contact extraterrestrials and began seeking like-minded followers. They published advertisements for the meetings where they recruited disciples whom they called crew. And at these events, they purported to represent beings from another planet, the next level, who sought participants for an experiment. They claimed those who agreed to take part in the experience, experiment would be brought to a higher evolutionary level. At this point, Nettles and Applewhite refer, refer to themselves as Ginna and Pig. Ginna and Pig? Yeah, or, pig? Or, or, or Guinea and Pig, excuse me. Guinea Pig. <laughs> yes, Guinea, clearly... Guinea and Pig. Okay. I, I know. Well, Applewhite described his role as lab instructor and served as the primary speaker, while Nettles occasionally interjected clarifying remarks or corrections. The two seldom spoke with attendees, only taking phone numbers uh, with which they could contact them. They initially named their organization the Anonymous Sexaholic Celibate Church, but it soon became known as the Human Individual Metamorphosis. They told their followers they would be visited by extraterrestrials who would provide them with new bodies. Applewhite initially stated that he and his followers would physically ascend to a spaceship where their bodies would be transformed, but he later came to believe that their bodies were the mere containers of their souls, which would later be placed into new bodies. These ideas were expressed with language drawn from Christian Christian ecstatology, the New Age movement, and American popular culture. 
They said that a UFO would appear in the skies as as the prophets declared to take them all to the next level. And Applewhite believed in the ancient astronaut hypothesis, which claimed that extraterrestrials had visited humanity in the past and placed humans on Earth and would return to collect a select few. By 1975, uh, Applewhite had attracted 20 followers. And uncomfortable with increased public scrutiny, Applewhite and Nettles sent their followers out to travel the country as missionaries while they kept a low profile. He directed those followers to travel the country under the radar and recruit new members. And then Heaven's Gate received an influx of funds in the late 1970s, which it used to pay housing and other expenses. Applewhite and Nettles sent advertisements to groups in California and were invited to speak to New Age devotees there in 1975. At this meeting, they persuaded about half of the 50 attendees to follow them. They also focused on college campuses, speaking at Canada College in August. And at a meeting in Oregon in 1975, they, fur- they, they had further recruitment success and had about 30 people leave their homes to follow the pair, prompting interest from media outlets. The coverage was negative. Commentators and some former members mocked the group and leveled accusations of brainwashing against Applewhite and Nettles. To be fair, they were kind of right. Mm-hmm. Well, by 1975, Applewhite Nettles had taken the name Bo and Pete. They had about 70 followers and saw themselves as shepherds of a flock, hence Bo and Pete. <laughs> Applewhite believed that the complete separation from earthly desires was a prerequisite of ascension to the next level and emphasized passages in the New Testament, which Jesus spoke about forsaking worldly attachments. Members were consequently instructed to renounce friends, family, media, drugs, alcohol, jewelry, facial hair, and sexuality. Furthermore, they were ado- they were required to adopt uh, biblical names. Applewhite and Nettles soon told them to adopt two-syllable names that ended in Odie and had three consonants in the first syllable, such as Ricodi, Jamodi, and Lavodi. And Applewhite stated that these names emphasized that his followers were spiritual children. I, okay, so technically the name devotee could work too. Yes, yes. I, I have, I have a feeling that they know what they're doing with the namings. I mean, from Bo Peep to Guinea Pig, and now this. Oh, I'm sure it's all it's it's all part of the, uh, for lack of a better term, the brainwashing, bringing them into the flock. Making, giving them all very common, uh, uh, very similar names and, and being, being one with the flock. Um, he and Nettles, uh, and their followers lived what religious scholar James Lewis described as a quasi nomadic lifestyle. They usually stayed at remote campgrounds and did not speak about their beliefs. Applewhite and Nettles ceased having public meetings in 1975 and spent little time teaching doctrine to their converts. The pair also had little contact with their dispersed followers, many of whom announced, renounced their allegiance. The movement, however, slowly grew, eventually reaching a size of 200 members, and Applewhite and Nettles called the followers until only the most loyal remained. By early 1976, Applewhite and Nettles settled on the names Doe and T, and Applewhite stated that these were meaningless names. In June of 1976, they gathered their remaining followers, followers at Medicine Bow National Forest in southeastern Wyoming and promised a UFO visit. Nettles later announced that the visit had been canceled. 
Then Applewhite nettles split their followers into small groups, which they referred to as star clusters. Uh, Applewhite preached that human nature was corrupt, and as they traveled from state to state, Applewhite and his recruits followed strict rules. Sex was prohibited, as, as was uh, drinking and smoking. Members cut their hair and donned baggy clothes to appear genderless, and at this point, Applewhite also castrated himself. He encouraged his male followers to consider castration, and many went, many went through this procedure. Applewhite preached, quote, a member of the next kingdom finds favor with one who is willing to endure all the necessary growing pains and weaning himself totally from his human condition. In the 1980s, the group moved indoors, renting houses in several regions, including the Dallas area, and some members even started getting jobs in the outside world using fake names. Then in 1985, Nettles died from cancer, leaving Applewhite distraught and challenging his view on physical ascension. Having lost his prophetic partner, Applewhite refused to give up. Applewhite told their followers that she had traveled to the next level because she had too much energy to remain on Earth, and she abandoned her body to make the journey. His attempt to explain her death in the terms of the group's doctrine was successful, preventing the departure of all but one member. However, Applewhite became very depressed. He claimed that Nettle still communicated with him, but suffered from a crisis of faith. His students supported him during this time, and they greatly encouraged him. He then organized a ceremony in which he symbolically married his followers. He declared the end of the earth was near, and followers made videos warning of the last call to exit the planet. Robert Rubin, who was an ex-member of the cult, explained, quote, we were seekers of what was going on, why we were here, and what's the purpose of life. In the late 1980s, the group kept a low profile, and few people even knew it still existed. In 1988, they mailed a document that detailed their beliefs to a variety of New Age organizations. The mailing contained information about their history and advised people to read several books, which primarily focused on Christian history and UFOs. With the exception of the 1988 document, Applewhite's group remained inconspicuous until 1992 when they recorded a 12-part video series which was broadcast via satellite. This series echoed many of the teachings of the 1988 update, although it introduced a universal mind of which its hearers could partake. And in 1993, the group even took out an ad in USA Today, which it promised UFO cult resurfaces with final offer. Two years later, Marshall Applewhite, Marshall Applewhite eagerly read about the Hale-Bopp comet, and he decided it was the heavenly UFO that his cult needed to ascend to the next level. Hale-Bopp was the last chance to evacuate Earth before it's recycled. He then began preparing them all to ascend. But this wouldn't be the cult's first attempt to leave the planet. In the late 1980s, the cult members bought a houseboat houseboat in Galveston, Texas, and waited for aliens to take them away. But then the boom of the internet gave Applewhite a new recruitment tool. Members built a website and convinced people from across the country to leave their lives to join the cult. Then in 1997, the cult made its final preparations to leave the earth. Under Applewhite's leadership, they decided to, they planned to die by suicide in order to ascend to the heavens. The Heaven's Gate mass suicide did not take place all at once. I, d- I did not know this. Um, it didn't? No. Yeah, remember? I thought they did it all in one night. 
Nope. <clears throat> Memberships took, uh, I think they did it all in one night, but members took shifts cleaning up after the previous group before killing themselves. Wow. Before they died by eating applesauce poison with a lethal dose of sedatives, each member of the cult left behind a video statement. In giddy tones, they explained how they would ascend to a spaceship hiding in the shadow of the hill Bob Comet. Bob Comet. One follower said, it's just the happiest day of my life, 39 to beam up. For his final message, Marshall Applewhite stared into the camera and cautioned, your only chance to evacuate is to leave with us. Planet Earth is about to be recycled. A few days later, on March 26, 1997, authorities discovered the body of 39 cult members inside a rental house in Rancho Santa Fe, California, all wrapped in purple bags, placed, uh, all wrapped in purple with bags placed over their head. And as you alluded to at the beginning, they were all wearing identical Nike decade sneakers. Two members gave up their spots on the spaceship to stay behind and run the group's website. The anonymous admins later explained, explained, quote, the information must be available to mankind in preparation for their return. We don't I know when that. Go ahead. I was, I, I'm sorry. I was about to say, I think the Heaven's Gate website is actually still up. It is. I don't know. It is. Yes. Um, so it, my last comment is actually the organization is believed to persist today with the original theories of Heaven's Gate cult leader Marshall Applewhite still at the foundations of the group. So I do believe that it is still in it, it's still out there today. Wow. And that is the story of the Heaven's Gate cult. Wow. <clears throat> this is one I remember well. Yes. Uh, I remember seeing it on the news and just the horrific uh, the horrific scenes of, of the, of the purple bags that they had mm-hmm. laying out and everything because they showed it all on the news. Yes, they did. And what was weird is they pulled the bags up, but you could actually see the sneakers sticking out and they were all wearing the same shoes. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 This was, this was a real big one. What, well, uh, uh, K3, what it is is they bought all their stuff in bulk. So oh. when they went out and bought shoes, they all bought Nikes. Well, I just, it, and it was also uh, it, it was also part of the whole thing to keep them genderless, to keep them all looking yeah. the same. Yeah. So they all I get the that. Same. I get that. But like, I thought Nike was actually pretty expensive. So it was just kind of a thing of just how they get the money for that other well, than the credit card fraud. Well, no, they received for, for through their through their followers who left everything behind, left everything to the to the cult. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. they basically just. Took all their money. Yes. When they, when they uprooted their lives, they, they gave all their money to, uh, Marshall Applewhite and that helped fund it that, you know, they received an influx of funds through, uh, through, through all the people that were, that were uprooting their lives and leaving everything behind. So a sad, uh, excuse me. A sad tale of a, of a, of a big mass suicide. But again, I, I wanted to cover another cult. So nice. Well, thank you for covering a cult, sir. Thank you for joining me through that. We thank K3 for joining us for this episode. Really appreciate the, the guestery. I, I figured I'd be more of the intern or internally. <laughs> internally. <laughs> that, or entry that I guess I, I don't know how that how that works exactly. Hey, it's it's y'all's podcast. I mean, y'all came up with the name. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. 
Well, as always, as we end this week, you can find uh, you can find us on nerderymurder.com. That's our hub for everything about the show. You can find uh, links to links about the things we've talked about, plus pictures, uh, links to our YouTube. Yes, yes, we do have a YouTube page where we have playlists out. You can see all the things that we talked about in community today. Uh, I believe it's labeled Ep eighty eight. Eighty eight. Yep. You can also find the link to our merchandise where if you wish to show off your nerdery and murdery fandom, certainly do peruse the store there. And you can find the link to our Patreon where if you wish to become a patron and donate to the show, it helps cover our costs because there are costs that are involved with producing this show and keeping it up and going. Please do consider becoming a patron. We appreciate each and every one of you. Please and thank you. Please and thank you. And last but not least, please leave a five-star review wherever you can. Tell your friends about it and help them find content that they may be looking for. So with that. I have been Zig with your nerdery. And I'm Jeffrey with your nerdery. Cue the music. Music.